It's that time. The bell has rung. Mental punches are about to be thrown. Five, four, three, two, one. Get ready to face off with the strategies and tactics to take on the martial arts of everyday life and win. Welcome to the School of Crazy Monkeys podcast. Here's your hosts, Dr. Rodney King and Aaron Laboutier. All right, so welcome everyone to our inaugural first podcast for the School of Crazy Monkey. I'm here with Aaron, and uh, I think we're not entirely sure what we're going to talk about, are we? So you know what I was thinking about, one thing that we could discuss, because obviously most of the people that will be listening to this are going to be people that are, on the one hand, very interested in martial arts, you know, depending on which direction they've decided to take, be it more stand-up or jits or more self-preservation, whatever that may be, but definitely martial arts. And then the other side of it is there's going to be everybody listening to the call is going to be interested in what we do, right? The crazy monkey defense program, our other programs like monkey jits and I approach. So one of the things that we always talk about and the way that we situate what we do, we say that we have it in three if you want to call it three different categories that are interlinked. We talk about mat, we talk about street, and we talk about life. So that might be something to explore. Like why those three perspectives and why are they important? And uh, why do I, you know, why do I think that it's really important to follow that, that approach? I'd like to start by telling a story. Sure. Go for it. <laughs> well, I've, I've told you this story before, but you don't remember it, which surprises me. Because it was such a profound memory for me that the fact that it wasn't profound for you kind of belittles the experience for me. But anyway. But I think, well, hold on, hold on. Before you do that, though, in my defense, right, you do need to realize that I've taken a lot of punishment to the head. So that is my excuse for not remembering things. Okay, all right. Point taken. So I suppose it would have been maybe my first ever camp in, at KL, in KL. So you, now you're talking about the annual training camp that we hold every year, ATC. Yeah. Yeah. ATC, yeah, sorry, ATC. I've also been getting a lot of hits in the head lately, so I'm catching up with you on, uh, on, on damage. Yeah, ATC. So I think it was the first one, um, if not then definitely the second one. And I had just been given my blue bell from our brother in Sao Paulo. And I always got the impression, most probably quite rightly so, that you were a little dubious of me getting it anyway, because in hindsight, when I got it, I most probably didn't quite deserve it. But anyway... That's maybe for another time. So I got my blue belt. I'm at ATC one or two. I'm surrounded by all the hard hitters of the crazy monkey tribe. You know, the the Eric's and the Vince's and the name that cannot be mentioned. And all of these kind of like, you know, people that I, well, me or my ego, I don't know. Maybe my ego wanted to impress them. 
I'm kind of like this new guy, right? And I want them to think that I'm cool. And how do you make yourself cool when you haven't quite realized some of the secrets of life? Well, you think that the tougher you are, the harder you roll, then the more punishment you take, the more punishment you can give, that somehow people will look at you and go, wow, he's really cool. Such an immature, such an immature thing to think. But I'm sure a lot of people listening will 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 relate to it. So you said, okay, uh, everyone find a partner, just um, have some fun. And then you looked at me and you said, Aaron, come and roll with me. And I thought, yes, this is my time. This is my time to like show Rodney that that I'm a tough guy, that, that he, he's going to like me and he's going to respect me, not because I'm a gentle guy and I'm a soft guy and maybe I can make a good pasta and maybe I'm a nice guy to go and have a drink with. No, no, because I can be aggressive. Surely that's what he'll like. So we rolled, and this was in the height of my kind of anxiety, panic, claustrophobia period. You, um, you passed my guard. Surprise, surprise. And then I fucking freaked out. I mean, I totally freaked out. And I and I came up with some nonsense. And I remember saying to you, oh, oh yeah, sorry, I've got a bad shoulder. The classic bad shoulder, which is everyone's way of manly saying, right now I'm shit scared or I'm having an attack. But if I say i got a bad shoulder, this is my get out of jail free card. You humbly kind of, you know, muttered something under your breath because you must have heard it like one million times. And then we rolled again. And I remember pushing you up against the side of the wall and physically trying to strangle you. And, and, I, and I think back to that moment and think to myself, what the hell was I doing? Who, who the hell was I? What was I trying to prove? I mean, if you look at the Matt Street life, then definitely it was the street. But I was doing it with someone that I looked up to, someone who I actually wanted to be part of that fraternity. But it just goes to show you that sometimes the ego, it, it cons you, it tricks you into thinking that the way to success, in the way to, to, to excelling in the martial arts world, is by being a badass. And it was my attempt of being a badass. And I'll never forget pinning you up against the wall, looking at your face. Your face was obviously clearly thinking, like, the fuck is this idiot doing? Um, but in my mind, I thought that I had done something good. At that moment, I actually thought I might have gained your respect because of the level of aggression that I gave you. Now, five years later, and significantly a different person not just on the mat and i can't say for the street because i mean that that whole concept of street fighting doesn't really appear in my day-to-day -day life nor do i want it to um life i'm a completely different person on the mat i'm a completely different person and when i think back to that story i am genuinely horrified that only six years ago in my early 40s, I thought that was the way. And it kind of bothers me sometimes.
But at least I can think back and, and, and say to myself, well, it was an isolated event. It was an isolated event. And I've learned from it. And my journey from pinning you up against the wall and trying to choke you because my ego told me that this is how Rodney is going to like me. It's just the saddest story that's ever been told. <laughs> I don't know if it's the saddest story, but it's a recurring story. Let's put it that way. The, 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 the injured shoulder or the feigning the shoulder injury to get out of something, that's very common. I've heard that one more than a few times. But why do people say it? I mean, what is the root of people saying that? From my, from my experience, the root is fear. I think it can be for sure. I think for some people, though, what actually happens is a lot of what they have been trying to avoid comes up in that moment. And I don't think it's necessarily very conscious, like they're actually thinking about it in a, you know, a conscious kind of rational way. It just kind of comes up. It swells up you know, like a wave that hits you and you're not looking. And then suddenly you're overwhelmed by this intense feeling of inadequacy. Helplessness. And helplessness. helplessness. Yeah, hopelessness, helplessness, inadequacy, depending on what your, your, issue is, your issues are. And you're not entirely sure how you're actually going to deal with it. So in that moment in time, you bow out. You know what I mean? You take, the, you take the easy way out and the easy way out is to say, oh, no, no, I'm hurt and I, and I can't carry on. So I think that's definitely part of it. Sure. I mean, my, mine, mine was anxiety and panic and claustrophobia. Uh, and, and that's been something that I've, I've worked very hard through kind of immersion kind of uh, therapy by just putting myself in that position and trying to visualize how to deal with it. Some of it has been plant-based, giving me an insight into where it came from. When you say, when you, when you say plant-based, what you're actually talking about is plant medicine, right? Yeah, so, I mean, when I took my first ayahuasca experience, I had something that I'd completely forgotten about and it was very profound. So when I was a kid, I had what you could call chronic asthma and bronchitis. I mean, to the point where I had a letter from my mum <laughs> and from the doctor that said I was not to participate in any sport at all, ever, from the moment I joined school till the moment I left, which also has some spin-off effects because if you're the guy that can't join in on things like sport when you're going through puberty and children are at their nastiest, I mean, my bullying at school was, I mean, it was pretty bad. I mean, I had people kind of coming up to me with a knife and demanding lunch money off me and, and stuff like that. And I think part of it was because I was always the kid that never did any sport per se. Well, let, let's say in the winter months. In the summer, I could do it because the asthma wasn't as bad. But if I'm to inhale cold air, um, I would have chronic asthma and bronchitis. So before the invention of the Ventolin inhaler, what I used to have most nights was I would wake up with an asthma attack, which meant I couldn't breathe. I would scream for my mum. She would come in. 
she would boil a bottle of hot water. She would pour that hot water into a bowl, put a few drops of what is called old bass oil. I don't know if that's a universal thing, but it's kind of like a, you know, a, a strong decongestant. And then chuck a towel over my head. And then keep me in there, breathing that hot water and that, that particular decongestant to help me breathe. Now, I had kind of forgotten about the trauma of that. And when I took the ayahuasca, it became quite clear that a lot of the time when people pass my guard and sit on top of me, what's actually happening is my hippocampus is relating that feeling of claustrophobia to the feeling of having a wet blanket over my head with my head shoved in a bowl, having an absolutely serious asthma attack that then sends a signal to my amygdala to freak the fuck out, which is essentially what I do every time, most times before. It's very rare that that happens now. And that's because of immersion therapy insofar as having people like put me in bad positions. I've done it with you. I've tapped, you've walked away and I've said, come back again. I mean, like, get back on the pony type theory. Um, but the ayahuasca really showed me the root of that anxiety. And the funny thing was is that although I have those memories, I really didn't realize that that was the connection to my anxiety attacks. So it's important that you say that, right? Because just earlier on, you were saying, you know, well, my reason for feigning the shoulder thing or having a freak out is because of my anxiety, right? And that kind of leads into what I was kind of alluding to. I think a lot of people don't necessarily know why they might respond the way that they respond in that moment in time, because a lot of it is unconscious. I mean, it took you... Yeah, it took, yeah, it took you immersion therapy. It took you uh, to go down the road of plant medicine to remember and realize where that it was actually coming from. So I think for most people, when they have these situations on the mat where this kind of experience rises up within them, they're not consciously aware of it. They don't necessarily how to trace it back, but it's coming, as Jung would say, right, from their unconscious. I mean, I know for myself, Right. When I in my kind of if you want to call it my low kind of spot or my, my my struggles on the mat where I feel that is any time I feel somebody is getting the better of me and I don't like that feeling. And my first response is to try to find a way out of it, to fight my way out of it and turn it around. But I can trace that all the way back to when I was a kid, never feeling that I had any sense of confidence. I found I felt, I felt powerless, you know, especially when we talk about bullying and the experiences that I went through. So anytime I feel powerless or anytime I feel like I'm not in control of a situation or a situation has been thrust upon me that I have no way of changing, I have no say in it, that's my trigger, right? And so the, one of the reasons why I created this idea of saying, okay, Matt Street Life, that integration uh, model always leading to life was that we want Matt, the Matt, to be our teacher. We want it to be an experience where it shows these things up and we have the opportunity to work through it. And I think that in of itself is, is different because a lot of martial art experiences or a lot of experiences, 
especially in the modern world of martial arts, if we look at, say, for example, the competitive stream or the reality-based stream, the focus there is purely on performance. It's not on anything else. It's about, okay, let me learn the best physical skills to destroy the potential threat in front of me. None of it is about going deep within, within each person, within ourselves, and looking at what are the skeletons in the closet, so to speak, and how do we express that on the mat? And is that also part of our hangups in life? And I'll make the argument that that is true because the body never lies. And what shows up on the mat is also stuff that shows up in life, even though we may not initially make that connection. And then we have to have the courage or at least the environment that allows for us to actually explore that. And I think that's kind of what I was always trying to work towards. And it took me a very long time to figure that out because for the longest time, I was in a similar kind of place that you were initially where I just thought the only way that you're going to be able to do this and have other people respect you and mainly men is that you need to step onto the mat, so to speak, and be able to do the business. And if you weren't willing to go down that road, then you had no right to be there. And I think, again, that's not an uncommon experience, especially for, for men um, in the martial arts world, is because we've also been sold a kind of uh, you know, perspective on masculinity that perpetuates that, right? It encourages that. You know, boys don't cry. It's always about being tough. And you also know that when you will go down that road where you are able to physically dominate other men, your relationship with, them, with those men change. Their, their attitude towards you changes. And, you know, I'm not necessarily saying it's a good thing, but when, when people perceive me as somebody that can physically dominate them, their attitude to me changes in a very different way. They, they treat me better, actually. You know, and that shouldn't be the case. It shouldn't be the case that because I'm the dominant force in that environment, that should in of itself, you know, allow people to treat me differently. But it does. And I can see there's so many pathways we could take on this conversation, right? But I can see how that, first of all, becomes attractive, addictive, why guys would think that that's a good place to go, you know? But at the end of the day, as you noted, in hindsight, as you look back, and I can say the same thing, and if I look back at how I was in my 20s, it's kind of embarrassing, to be honest. I mean, it's it, it just, but I didn't know any better. And, and that's the other part is I'm not trying to make excuses for that behavior, but there was nobody ever around me that said, hey, Rodney, listen, you know, there's, a, there's another way to experience this and another way to express yourself. And the way that you are is not necessarily the best. But when you're coming from my environment where you kicked out of the house, you know, it's at a young age. You, you're sleeping on the streets. Your mother's a raging alcoholic. You, you know, you don't, you've never known your father. So you don't even, even to this day, I don't know who my dad was. Um, you know, you were bullied in your neighborhood, bullied at school, were treated badly too, because you, you were only brought up by your mother. You have all of these experiences. And I could go on and on and on about the trauma that I had as a child. We could see why that, why you would go down that road though, you know, as a, as a young adult, why you would think that that's the way to go. And as I noted earlier, there was a, there was a realization, as, as was the realization when I was at school, right? The guys that could kick, kick ass, so to speak, were left alone. They got all the girls and people treated them with respect. You know, so once I started becoming, so to speak, that same kind of ex expression, those things happened for me too. But you can be in that place where 
that's happening for you and you think that that's going to make things better but it doesn't and actually makes things worse oftentimes right and so i've spoken about that at length where at the height of my physical game where i felt that was unstoppable and i was pretty much and i was winning all the time and i was going up against people in sparring and and things and those kinds of experiences many of those guys went on to fight and compete and win in the ufc and i eliminated everybody that i basically went up against i never felt any more confident i never felt more self assured i still felt like i had low self esteem and no confidence and i just didn't feel good within myself right so even though i could do the physical dance so to speak and i could dominate everybody it didn't necessarily do for me what i thought it was going to and i think a lot of guys unfortunately think that that is the case you know like if i can beat these people on the mat if i can beat these opponents if i can take out the tough guys then as you noted i'll not only be respected but i'll be part of the tribe in some respects it, that does happen and for a lot of people but is that really healthy no i mean i i my experience very recently as my game has improved is that i'm now noticing that when i roll with guys and i can easily dominate them and then we go for dinner in the evening the last thing i want to happen is for that guy to change his attitude towards me or show me any form of respect just because what happened on the mat i find that quite tragic and i don't want that and and i don't want to hang around with men that would want to look up to me because of the performance on the mat i would rather have a group of people stay at the retreat who um are experts in whatever they do that could be business music artistic culinary doesn't make any difference whatever it is they're better than me they have an interest in martial arts they get on the mat it's quite clear because i put in a huge amount of fly time over the last 5 years that i am significantly better than them then that experience is over then we go to the beach i don't want to talk about that experience anymore on the mat that was just one experience between the two of us doing something that i just so happened to have spent a huge amount of fly time like i said recently to get to that level but that's not to say that they could pick any number of topics where their fly time is considerably more than mine and what i'm now meant to then suddenly acquiesce to everything they say no i mean there has to be a balance right the guys clearly going to say oh yeah you know what you're pretty fast right your jab's pretty fast and like you're a pretty slippery character and couldn't hold you down and it's fun to be said in a fun way not in a kind of like wow you know your jab is really fast and wow i don't want someone looking up to me because i got a fast jab i find that just i find that just bizarre i know there's so there's three things there right first thing i want to say is but you will agree though right and you've noticed this now now that you said that you've been you know you've been coaching for a little while the fact is you do get treated differently that's a reality right yeah 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 so so second to that is now you can see where i come from is that unfortunately as i traveled around the world for over two decades that kind of separation i feel it's a separation because you're not really connecting with people when they treat you differently just because you can physically dominate them that is an experience i had all the time and so many times it could never just be left on the mat right it so it always came with me everywhere in every conversation and so then 
I would get accused at times because I would be aloof and I wouldn't be this kind of person that, you know, would people could just come up to. But never, nobody ever understood it from my point of view is that it's very hard to be this kind of open person when everybody's treating you differently because you can physically dominate them, right? And, and, and telling them not to doesn't necessarily make it go away. A lot of lot of guys don't understand that. So one of the the third thing what I was thinking about there was, and what I'm big on now is I do think that intention is very important. Intention in two respects. My intention for being on the mat, what am I trying to achieve? And the intention of the other people that I'm on the mat with. And that is a choice that I can make a choice on. I can make a decision as the person who is the coach as the person leading people through the experience, I can decide what that intention is. Unfortunately, if I say the intention is about using the mat to overcome our inner obstacles, to come to peace with our inner demons, about having the experience so that we can learn more about ourselves, see what shows up on the mat that definitely shows up in life and have that opportunity to work through it, my experience is that's not popular, right? So if you, even if I just think about it like this, right? So we've got two telegram groups where we have people who've joined up to follow what we do, right? One is Matin Street. That's what it is. It's all about the Matin Street. There are a few hundred people there that are interested in that. And then I have the Embodied Warrior telegram group, which is really about what we're talking about now about becoming more through the experience of martial arts, about using it as a life performance vehicle. And we got like, like 50, you know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's, not, it's not as popular because I think there's a couple of problems here. I think one is unfortunately so many people and especially guys don't realize that they're going into the martial arts for the absolute wrong reasons. They think by exactly as you noted right in the beginning from your story, right? They think if they go in, they develop these physical skills, their physical prowess, that that is going to allow them to overcome the things that they don't like about themselves. And in my experience, it doesn't do that at all. If anything, it makes it worse, right? So for example, if I'm having problems in my life with anger issues, and I think that by going to train martial arts just purely to, to learn the martial skills is going to help me overcome my anger issues. What's actually in fact going to happen is it's going to make me more angry. That's my experience. That's what I've seen. And I've seen lots of people fall into that trap. You know, so that's the, that's the issue. It doesn't make it worse. I mean, it doesn't make it better. It makes it worse. So really the intention has to be there, right? So my intention now is for the most part, wherever possible, I always only want to be on the mat now with people that want to be in that life camp, right? That's not saying that the, the performance, the game on the mat isn't important because it is. You need that game in order to be able, you need the, the, the resistance, you need the edge in order to confront those things about yourself that you're having problems with. So you need the reality. But if that's the only thing that you're going to focus on, you will never get to the life aspect and that's never going to show up for you. And so you'll never make any real inroads through the experience, right? So it's like, yes, you're training martial arts, Yes, you're getting you you're building your physical prowess, but that's all you're really getting out of it. You know, here you maybe built a little bit of you know toughness. You you got fit and stuff like that. But so what? I mean, beyond that, what else does it do for you? You know what I mean? In my mind, is like where I am now is 
Okay. If I get on the mat and I'm having the experience on the mat with other people, do I leave that experience feeling better about myself? Do I feel more connected to everybody on the mat? When I walk into life, am I, am I more calm, focused, and centered? Because that's where I want to be. Because nobody wants to be the opposite to that in life. Many people are. And that's part of their, 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 their turmoil, right? It's part of their, their stress. It's a part of why life seems so hard to deal with because they, they're living an experience where they don't want to be. They're not calm. They're not focused. They're not centered, right? So I only want to be on the mat with that, but then at the same with those kinds of people. But then I have to be, I have to be realistic that it's not going to be the masses, unfortunately. I wish it was. I wish more people coming through the martial arts experience would hear what we're talking about and realize that the mat can be the place of personal transformation. And, and I think there is a change. There is a shift that's happening in, in a generation. And uh, I think there's more chance as people move away from the old school concepts of what martial arts. And when I say old school, actually, I don't, I don't actually mean real old school. I don't mean like samurai level old school. Because if you go to samurai old school level, and we were having this Zoom with a bunch of samurai, they'd most probably agree with everything we're saying. That's, that's the weird thing. I mean, old school as in the kind of karate posters of the 70s and the ninja posters of the 70s where you peeled off a telephone number because there was a promise of making you a better person because you were the person that were bullied at school, but not anymore because for a 100 bucks, we're going to teach you how to be a real man. That generation has been the cause of a lot of what we're talking about. But the new generation, I think, have a better understanding of the connection to other humans and the development of your own personality and the connection to people around you, the embodied experience. These are all words that are more in the vocabulary of the new generation than of our generation, because we grew up with the telephone number peel off for the ninja class. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think I think what is what is happening and what I notice is slowly and, and, and I think it, it's going to filter down into some topics or subjects or experiences quicker than others. I think martial arts is going to be a little bit slower. Part of that is because of the prevalence of MMA and the competitive cycle in, in general and it being so popular. And that's the kind of one thing that people, most people know about. So if you don't know about martial arts in general, the one thing you probably have some idea about is MMA and the competitive cycle. But I also notice, and this is not me only saying this, but we're in a time where there is a loss of meaning and a lot of people are struggling to find meaning in their life. And so the natural consequence of that is, is that when people take on experiences now, one of the things that they do want is to find meaning through that experience. And when I say meaning, it's purpose, right? So what is the purpose of this? And it shouldn't just be an isolated experience only. Yeah. How does this unfold in every aspect of what I do? So I do see that, as you know, and I, I see that, for example, like with my, with my boys, right? So my eldest son, he's, he's a young adult now, um, you know, 19. My, my youngest son is, is, is a teenager, the 15 mark. Um, definitely in their generation, I've noticed that they ask questions that the generation before didn't. And they are definitely more interested in 
the experiences that they have has to have some meaning, right? It has to be more than just that, just that, right? More than just the game, more than just learning how to fight. And it's about, it's about becoming more as a person. I mean, I told you the story just the other day, Egan got into a little bit of a situation back in South Africa. He had to defend himself, but he said the whole time through that experience, he had, he, he had my words in his head, right? It's like, okay, I'm yeah. There, there's this physical situation that I have to deal with. I'm going to deal with it, but ultimately I want to get away from this and walk away from this without having to, you know, de devolve into violence. I actually don't want to be in this violent situation. This for me is self-preservation, is an ego defense. And I want to get out of this unscathed as best as I possibly can. So rather than getting into a massive fist fight with a bunch of guys, he did what he needed to do, but ultimately wanted to not be there and, and basically live his life, right? And so he, he saw the necessity of violence in that moment, but it was also about transcending the violence. And so when, you, when I talked to him, the, the fact that he had that ability to walk away from it, yes, he did what he needed to do, but walk away from it without it going into a real fight, so to speak, and being able to use his verbal jujitsu, like he saw that as a win, right? Like for him, that was like, that was a positive experience where in my generation, you wouldn't be able to let that go because you're like, man, I should have got in there and I should have just smashed the shit out of all these guys. You know, it's like a different, different world where I come from. And I'm glad that he's thinking and talking that way. I mean, even the, in the world of human resource, I mean, if you speak to HR managers, they're the first to tell you that there's an enormous shift in the way that they have to advertise for jobs for the new generation. Because our generation, it was very easy. It was how many holidays do we get and how much money do we get and how quickly do we get a pay rise? And pretty much those were the key questions of, of HR for the 70s, the 80s and the 90s and the 20s as well, really. But now people are asking more in-depth questions about how they as a person working for this company will have an effect globally or on the environment. The holidays and the money are becoming a secondary question. People are now starting to ask, what value do I bring to my community and to this planet by me working in this company? That's quite a profound difference. Yeah, I mean, it's, the, the, it's the wisdom age, right? That's, That's kind right, of yeah. where we're yeah. moving into. So absolutely, and, and I see that. So yeah, definitely, I think there's going to be a shift. And for me, I mean, it's like lessons learned, right? It's, I keep saying this, and I want to just come back to that, is that where I see our responsibility because you also teach uh, our responsibility as coaches is to have those conversations or to set up the environment in such a way that we can have conversations about what this experience actually means in the fullness of our lives in the people that we are on the mat with and moving beyond that into the world and you know growing up like i said i never had those role models i never had that conversation and even when i did do more traditional martial arts and and I came from a, as a young kid, I came from a karate background. Yes, we would talk about these things kind of almost like in a parrot fashion, right? These are the, the ethos of karate, you know, not using karate for, for evil, never throw the first punch, all those kinds of things were, talk, were, were not talked about. They were mentioned, you were expected to know them, but they were never fully explored. There was never really a discussion around it. It was never, why is that the case, right? Like, what does this actually mean? What does it mean for you? What does it mean for the environment that you find yourself in? And I think that needs to be done. And had I had uh, better mentors, uh, people that I was training with at the time, I think 
my outlook on everything would have come to where I am now a lot quicker. But I'm only figuring that out now, right, as I get closer to the 5.0 mark, right? And so, you know, it's unfortunate. I wish I could go back and change some of those things because in hindsight, I wouldn't do the way that I did it right back in my 20s. Actually, I think the way we do it now is much better. But I had to have done that to get to where I am. I realize that too. I, I rolled with a guy this morning and inside control, I looked into his eyes and I knew exactly where he was. So I took my weight off him and he said to me, why have you taken your weight off me? I said, because you're about to panic. He said, how do you know? I said, because, because I can see it in your eyes. So what do you want to do? You want me to just stay here and just get your breath for a few seconds? And he said, oh, oh yeah, yeah, no, thank you. I, yeah, I, I was about to lose it. I said, yeah, sure, don't worry about it. I mean, your frames are shit. That's mostly why you're having this problem because I'm right on top of you. So why don't you just adjust your frames, take three deep breaths, and then I'm going to lower myself back onto you gently. And you know what? It worked fine. As opposed to like, you know, ah, oh, this guy's panicking. Let's see how much he can take. Let me see how much I can like uh, get him before he taps. And that's my, that's my big takeaway now, is that if I'm rolling with someone and I can see that they're starting to feel uncomfortable, I'll stop and say, you're feeling uncomfortable. You know what? I can feel it. I can feel your energy is uncomfortable. So why? Are you, what, what's wrong, man? And they'll either say, I don't know. I don't know what it is. And then there's a whole conversation, which I can help with because I pretty much know what the problem is. But technically, I can also help. From a purely technical game of jits, I can say, you may be able to alleviate this a little bit because you had no frames when I passed your guard. So I just flattened you and then I just put 97 kilos of fat on top of you. That's why you're not feeling so good. But look, look, check this out. And then you go into another lesson and, and it helps them. But the, but the point is that it's done gentlemanly. I'm not doing it to make them feel like they failed. I'm doing it because I've been there and I popped out the other end and I would, I would never want another person to have to suffer what I went through just because it would make my ego feel better. Then that would be the worst coach in the world, right? Well, I mean, there, there you've shifted the intention is what I'm talking about, right? Your intention for being there, you've decided what you want that experience to be. And then you're allowing other people to have that same experience, right? You can make that choice. You can have the, the, the intention of exactly as you noted, just coming in and smashing people. And unfortunately, that's how a lot of these martial arts environments are, especially the performance-based environments. That's just how it goes, right? I mean, you've had, you, I know you've had these conversations and we've talked about it where you have people coming down from hyper-competitive academies, especially in jiu-jitsu, and where they come from, it's just smash and burn, right? It's just 100 miles an hour. And when they sit down and they're really honest, it's not really the experience that they want. And they're not really gaining what they should be gaining out of jujitsu from training in that way. You know, sure. You know, maybe if you want to go down the competitive route, that's fine. But the vast majority of people are not there for that, right? They really aren't. And I think that's the thing as well that I'm trying to say is I don't think people realize why they're there. They know something is missing. They know that they need to work through things. And there's always, a kind of a sense and definitely in our, when I was growing up and that's through the movies and everything else, especially in the martial arts movies, that martial arts has this promise, right? It has this promise that if you train martial arts, 
you will become confident, you will become disciplined, you will become, you will you develop courage, you know, and all these kinds of attributes. And so naturally people think, well, I'm struggling with all these things. I'm sure if I go train martial arts, I'm get those things I'm going to be able to overcome it changes very quickly because the environment that they go into is not offering it, right? And so your example of saying, I can see in his eyes where he's at. And so I took the pressure off. So that's, that's, you've created an environment that allows that, right? And so that's going to be that student's experience with you. He's going to get the shock of his life when he goes to another academy because that's probably not what it's going to be like, right? It's going to be the complete opposite. Then he has to make a decision for himself. How do I want to have this experience? Do I want to put myself there and train like that? Or do I want to train the way Aaron is, you know, creating the experience? And that's really it, you know? Yeah, and there's another variable as well is that in the 70s and 80s with the pull-off telephone number, there was a certain profile. And, and you even see it in, in when you go through various training in, in, the, in the police force. If you do martial arts and you collect guns, then there's a profile for that type of person. And it's not a good profile. I mean, in the, in the world of law enforcement. But again, that was born from an era where it attracted a certain type of male that would get high on the fact that he could bully people in the class and outside of the class because they were hiding some immense issue inside, so immense that it could lead to criminality and violence and domestic abuse and rape and everything else. What I'm finding now, and of course you're a big proponent of this, is that when you teach, you're teaching from an academic perspective as well. I don't mean an academic perspective of the game. You're talking from an academic perspective of the research you've done through your master's and your PhD. That adds a whole new dimension to rolling. Because if you roll with the guy whose sole experience is just about violence, then that's the only thing you're going to take from it. However, if someone rolls with you and then you start chatting to them afterwards about the parasympathetic nervous system and the sympathetic nervous system and the myriad of things that we talk about, and all of a sudden, the art of Brazilian jiu-jitsu has been given another, another layer, a layer of academia, a layer of philosophy, a layer of chivalry, a layer of contemplation. And not everyone is able to do that. So I'm lucky because, you know, starting my journey pretty much with you, and then listening to you, but that extra layer of academia over the martial art has meant that I have followed in your footsteps, right? So now when I deliver a class, I'm more than happy to talk about the biological, philosophical reasons why things are happening. And then that extends the class by another hour because you sit around discussing academically why certain things happened. And for a lot of people, they're blissfully unaware and they like it because it adds an extra layer to it. Mm. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's what, again, coming back to intention, right? Like I said, I only want to train with people that want to have that conversation. It's not saying that I'm an expert. It's just, can we have a conversation about these ideas? Because I'm always interested to know where other people are coming from too. And that's the environment that I've decided to, to create. If I go back to my 20s, 
I'm not entirely sure that the people I was surrounding myself with and the people coming to my academy would want to have that conversation. But that's how we, we set the intention there. And in actual fact, we were all insecure. That's the thing, right? And where I see us now is that we actually, it's a very mature way of approaching the martial arts and it's allowing people the opportunity and the space to discover things about themselves that they kind of know that's there, but it's largely unconscious and they're not really sure what's driving it. And through the conversations and through the training, so those kind of two experiences, they come to a better realization and awareness of themselves. And I think that's very powerful. And it's not in some kind of kooky self-help kind of way. I mean, it's very much a practical way because most people, you know, when they go through this, come to the realizations in of themselves. It's not that we are necessarily telling them what to do. We're just leading the discussion. We're leading the experience. And then when people have that opportunity to have that ability to be open and not be criticized or you know, ostracized because they want to express themselves, for example, it's okay to say that an experience on the mat made you afraid. You know, it's okay to say that that brought up anxiety. The, the question now is, why is that happening? Where is it coming from? And how can we work together to overcome that? Because once you get that right on the mat, I'm a firm believer that that, that means you will get it right in life. The body never lies. And so you can tell a lot about a person and where they're at, even if they don't know themselves, based on how they step onto the mat and they express themselves, right? And it's interesting because we've seen this too, right? Many times where we've had a conversation afterwards and we go, okay, that person's really having struggles. They're really struggling. They're in a bad place. But when you speak to them, they, they think that they're not, right? It's like, no, I'm not. I'm perfectly fine. I'm, 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 I'm okay. Maybe they, don't, I mean, maybe they generally don't realize it. No, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying they don't realize. They don't realize it, right? Um, but then they have conversations. They hear the conversations. And if they allow themselves to be open, then through that experience, they will become aware of it, right? And so I've had that also with a lot of people where they're like, I didn't realize that, that I was struggling in the way that I was struggling. And it was actually through the training experience that the way that you set it up, that it's about challenge play and not hyper competition, you know, that we're always working to each other, with each other, that each person is valued and their, their place where they are, the, the, the way they step on the mat is, is acknowledged, and accepted. And then the conversations afterwards, that's where I really learned something about myself. And I was able to change things that I hadn't been able to change in the past, because now suddenly I become aware of it. And I think that's where martial arts in of itself has a, has a powerful uh, possibility for people in their lives. Well, it has a power for genuine growth, if you allow it to. I mean, if you look at my personal journey, 15 years old, Shaolin Kung Fu, seven-star praying mantis. By the time I was 18, I must have known at least 20 different variations of Shaolin and seven-star praying mantis forms, which pretty much made me the toughest man on the planet, you know, pretty much, right? I mean, I knew 20 forms. How could I possibly be defeated? You know, you go to Thailand, you get introduced to Thai boxing, you go through that phase. Then I met Kevin Chan, uh, who is also a big um, influence on my martial art life, introduced me to the world of Wing Chun. That would then become a big thing for me. You know, he took me through that journey. And then I became very close with Adam. Then there was another journey. 
and then I become very close to you, plus the people that you've also helped in your immediate circle, people that have had an effect on me, Neville, Jacques, Vince, um, Don, you know, all those people, they've all, they've all had an influence on me, right? So at the end of it, at 50, from 15, there's been an incredible growth in my martial art life. But the point is, is there have been times when I've had to sit back and say, wow, you really are shit. Yeah, and that's okay, right? I mean... And then have to start again. And then you start again and you train hard and guess what? You're still shit. And you keep on going. And uh, I think that's the important thing. The moment you start to think that, that, that you are the shit, then, then that's a problem. But I think humility and humbleness... And I, and I think that's something that Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is very attractive to a lot of people is because it does have the ability, if you allow it to, to keep you very humble. Yeah. yeah. If, if you, you allow it to. If you, if, you, if you roll with the right people, it's very easy to set up your own school and it's very easy to have your belt and make sure that you keep your students at a certain level and make sure that no one else comes into your school, then you can be the shit in your Mm -hmm. class. But if you're happy to let, as I do down here at the retreat, everyone is welcome. And, you know, I'm regularly being taught a harsh lesson. And there's the growth because I take it as a lesson. And I go off and I think about it and I work on it. I don't get upset about it. I don't think that there's anything wrong with me. I don't think that I'm less of a man just because a guy who's been training longer than me is able to submit me. That would be a huge insecurity on my behalf. And even, and even if, and even if you're the person that's been training for a long time, like me, so what, right? Everybody loses. Everybody gets tapped, right? It's what you learn from that experience. What comes out of it. That's the most important thing. It's not the fact that you got tapped. I mean, it's. Yeah. Well, I mean, once you take away the hyper, competitiveness and the hyper masculinity and the ego out of all of this then there's a very enjoyable experience to be had and i don't mean enjoyable just insofar as enjoying the movement of the body working beautifully with the movement of another body that in itself is quite incredible but just the beauty of 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 growth in in learning new things about yourself both mentally emotionally physically having endorphins in your body, feeling a little bit stronger than you used to, feeling a little bit more flexible, feeling like you can do a handstand that you never used to be able to do. And all of that is magical. I mean, forget about the submissions, just the fact that you just feel lighter on your feet and that you feel a little bit more youthful because you're rolling with people, for the most part, that are 20 years younger than you. That in itself keeps you young and that you can keep up with them. Absolutely. So I think as we come to the end of this first episode, what I just want you maybe just to highlight because people listening to this may not know this. So I'm on the Isle of Man presently, and that's largely due to COVID. Normally I would be there with you at the retreat because I live six months of the year there. Maybe just explain to everybody a little bit about the retreat, where it, where it is in Thailand. And, you know, maybe just mention like, what are, what is our goals? Like, what are we looking to do there? Especially once we get to the point where, the, the world starts normalizing. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, the, the, the retreat was a brainchild of mine six or seven years ago. I bought the land. I, I built the, the structures, the buildings, 
for it to be an MMA camp. At, at that time, that's what I wanted it to be. But even when I was building it, there was something that was bothering me, which was the whole reason why I reached out to you, right? Because there were things that you were talking about that resonated with me. So I thought maybe this guy somehow has something that I need. So then when you came along, you know, the cage disappeared, certain things disappeared, but it was still pretty much a Brazilian jiu-jitsu boxing camp. And I would say in 2021, yes, it is a camp for people that are interested in Brazilian jiu-jitsu and boxing, um, not just under, you know, your banner, but, but anybody that's looking for that experience, the experience that we've just spoken about. But when we talked about layers, there's another layer apart from the academic layer of Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and that's the layer of interconnectivity with nature. And that's something that we're really pushing for down here is that, you know, when you spend an hour rolling in the gym here, which is completely open, that has maybe 20 different species of butterflies that are flying through whilst you're rolling, and birds, and frogs, and all sorts of other things, there's a connection there to nature. And that's something that, that both of us, and I think the retreat going forward, really wants to explore. Brazilian jiu-jitsu the layer of academia on top, but an extra layer of how nature, how returning to where we came from can have a profound effect on how you view yourself and how you view your position amongst everything around you, i.e. nature. And once you realize that you're connected to everything, that puts a smile on your face. That inevitably makes you feel better, makes you feel more relaxed which makes your jits game better because you're more relaxed. So, I mean, the whole thing is it's, it's a cycle, right? So in summary, it started off as MMA. It went to Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Now there's a layer of academia. Now there's a layer of, of reconnecting with nature, reconnecting with breathing and many exciting things. So it's a really uh, quite a broad spectrum of activities that we're looking to, to give people here, right? Mm. Yeah, and then so for those people that are interested, they can go to treerootsretreat.com. They can go check out the site. The retreat is a couple of hours drive away from Bangkok in Rayong in a small little sleepy fishing village. So people can go check that out. And then, of course, they can always reach out to us and we'll keep everybody updated uh, via the site. So the schoolofcrazymonkey.com site too about what's coming, what's happening. Uh, one of those, of course, that people can go and read about it's up there already is the Embodied Warrior Experience which really talks to what you've just mentioned about bringing together the integration of mind, body, and ecology. And there was a rumor. I mean, I don't know where I heard it from, but, you know, these rumors are best get rid of quite quickly. But I heard a rumor that the Tree Roots Retreat website was being updated. <laughs> you asshole. So, <laughs> yeah, that's, so, my goal. that's what I'm doing next. <laughs> there you go. So everyone that's listening, you, you can either look at it Thanks. now and see the old one or uh, wait a few days for Rodney to update it. Thanks, I appreciate it. Thanks, Aaron. All right, man, cool. All right, well, we'll, right. Let, it, we'll let everybody know about the, just follow us and, and uh, subscribe, and then you'll know when the next uh, episode is up. Brilliant, good to talk. Catch you later. Until the next episode, get out there and spread some crazy monkey magic. For more information on all things Crazy Monkey, head over to theschoolofcrazymonkey.com.